Hi, everyone. This is Jen Kesnick, and you're listening to You Be You, and I'll Be Me. Uh, today on the podcast, I have John Mabry, who serves as the director of public outreach and the host of High Sobriety Podcast for Addiction Campuses. He has a master's in counseling, is an inventor, an impassioned philanthropist, an award-winning speaker, actor, and stuntman with 14 years in the Screen Actors Guild. Within the first three months of moving to Hollywood, John's work attracted national media attention from People Magazine, USA Today, Access Hollywood. Uh, John has worked on NCIS, ER, and the infamous movie Superbad, and countless other commercials and appearances. John struggled with addiction, depression, and PTSD for over a decade following a fatal car accident. Things became significantly worse when his brother died of a drug overdose. John went from parties at the Playboy Mansion with A-list actors to living in a trailer on the banks of the river in, of a river in Tennessee. Today, Mabry is a national advocate for recovery, living in Nashville, Tennessee, with his wife and their three children, and he's going to show us how to have fun again in life after tragedy or trauma strikes. John, thank you so much for being on. Hey, thank you so much for having me, Jen. It's an absolute honor to, to be uh, talking with you and your uh, your dedicated uh, followers. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Um, and first of all, my condolences on the loss of your brother. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, I'm, you know, I'm just one story, and you know, I'll, I'll tell a little bit uh, of, of my story, and there's some, some surprises along the way, but you know, I'm, I'm just one person of 64 we have 64,000 overdose deaths in the United States uh in 2016 that's more deaths than the entire um than than the United States lost in the entire Vietnam War and that was in one year just a drug overdoses that's not suicides that's not car accidents that's not gun violence just overdoses so uh, I'm just one story and I'm just um, grateful to be alive myself um to be able to share it and um there's just so many hurting people out there and and um you know, if we if we have time to get into it about the, what the real cause of addiction is, uh, I would love to chat with chat with you guys a little bit about that. And, and um, the real cause of addiction is not what not what you might think it is. So if there's uh, time to cover that, then I'd love to touch on that as well. Yeah, I would too because I feel like that's really important. As you said, there's just so many people in pain, and like, where do you begin? You know. So tell us about yourself and your story. Okay, so um, yeah, I, I grew up in, born and raised in San Antonio, Texas. I had a wonderful family, wonderful support system, wonderful uh, what I would consider wonderful uh, and um, privileged uh, upbringing. And yeah, high school was easy for me. I got named class clown, most school spirited, best personality, and uh, most outgoing my senior year uh, at prom. And so I was just kind of the life of the party and. Wasn't wasn't a big partier uh, per se, but I was just you know had a um, personality that just kind of uh, was was larger than than uh, my small frame, yeah, um, <laughs> or average size frame. <laughs> um, so I go off to college. I went to private um, uh, university. Had you know college education you know, locally paid for by my folks, and so move off three hours away from home to Baylor University, and things just kind of came easy to me there too. Um, didn't. Uh, didn't have a whole lot of issues or problems or troubles and school. I was a communications major classes. Uh, you know, I chose communications on purpose cause I'm, I'm not a, not the smartest guy in the room, but I recognize that, um, you know how to communicate uh, with people. Yeah. I knew, I knew my strengths. And so I was like, I'm going to play to that. And it just so happens it's not the hardest uh, major in school. So, uh, so I was able <laughs> to have some fun on the side and that's where, um, you know, just doing the fraternity thing, doing normal frat, parties and drinking, um, not a whole lot of drug use or anything, but, uh, just a normal, you know, frat party thing. Yep. 
And then in uh, my senior year, I had built up this kind of perfect world, uh, at least in my head, was I was uh, dating a cheerleader who was our fraternity sweetheart. I was social chair of our fraternity, and I got a full-ride scholarship. I'd earned a full-ride scholarship by doing video work for the athletic teams. So as a communications major, I, wanted, I was doing some film classes and whatnot, and so just started uh, working part-time and then ended up turning into a full-ride. I got the same scholarship the athletes got. Nice. So I, I literally felt like an athlete. I mean, I, I walked around campus like, yeah, man. I mean, I got the I got same scholarship they got. I got to go to the, you know, the same counselors that they go to, and I got to pick, you know, an easy class before any before they all booked up you know the, those uh, athletic uh, counselors you know know what easy class they're like yeah, you don't want to take Portuguese <laughs> or, or or Chinese you're going to want to get in Swahili that's yeah. what we put all our guys in that's so, so great I was like alright so I'm going to Swahili <laughs> <laughs> so and here we are I built up this uh, I uh, done a uh, cruise out of New Orleans I'd set up a cruise for a bunch of friends fraternity brothers and and friends out of new orleans and so we go on this big booze cruise for spring break senior year uh all was great and we're coming back from this cruise and again scholarship everything's going great and we had a tire blowout in a friend's car no drinking or driving whatsoever tire blows out in a friend's car and we rolled uh witness reports say between six and 12 times um across uh, i-45 outside of Houston, just northeast uh, or northwest of houston and um it just changed everything i mean um I, I was conscious the whole time i saw as the car rolled across our side of the interstate across the median across the other side of the interstate into a field um i saw my legs getting crushed numerous times and trying to you know do what i could to pull them in and just n- nothing i could do and you know um the the i can go into all the details of the you know the, the how the you know your world flows and how i thought in those seconds that those seven seconds of my life was going to end i mean i said i I consciously had the thought of this is the end right now yeah and um the the short of it is we got i ended up getting um hauled off to first uh regional hospital in college station for my first set of surgeries try to piece my my feet my legs back together my ankle was just kind of my foot right foot was just kind of dangling by some fibers pretty much best way to describe it wow and we ended up moving me back home to San Antonio and I went from what I just described a few minutes ago to now uh, I lost my scholarship because I couldn't work anymore. Um, I had no fraternity brothers around me. I had, you know, no class work to, or no school classes to go to. And I'm living in my dad's home office in a hospital bed with my mom changing my urinal. Nice. Right. So right. the contrast of, man, I was, I was there, man. I had it all. I was connected. I was dialed in. Yep. I was engaged in life. I was having fun. And then now it's all just taken away from you with, you know, in a seven second car accident. So this is life before and life after. Yes, yes. And here's where I will go go and go into what the real cause of addiction is, is some people think it's genetics, some people think it's uh, boredom, some people think it's just bad decisions. It's a moral failing. The biggest one that I always thought was it's a moral failing on somebody's part. Like, man, they just can't they pull themselves together? They're just just screwing up. Why can't they just why can't they just stop? Yeah, just stop doing that. Yeah, it's like somebody having cancer. It's like, do you just tell somebody with cancer to stop having cancer? Right. No. And whether they have cancer, whether it's uh, part of it of their own doing, like maybe they, um, maybe they have skin cancer and they sat out in the sun for you know decades of their life, and now they're paying the consequences. They have skin cancer. Do we tell them to go get like fixed on their own without treatment? Right. No. We say, oh man, you have skin cancer, or uh, you know. Uh, 
lung cancer from smoking or, you know, lip cancer from tobacco, you know, chewing tobacco, whatever it is, if you have cancer, you're going to die. You can die if you don't go get uh, the treatment that you need, the help that you need from doctors, support groups, you know, neighbors and friends and, you know, church members come out to help you and, and bring you food and watch your kids while you go get yeah. uh, treatment. If you're, if you're lucky, you're in a community that rallies around you when you need help. Yes, yes. But with addiction, it's different. Addiction is kind of like, well, you did it to yourself. And whether somebody did it to themselves or not, you know, it's, the fact is it's a, it's a deadly disease that left untreated gets worse over time and increases your chance of dying. Right. And that's exactly what happened to my brother. My brother, uh, we knew he was struggling with addiction. We didn't encourage him to really go get help. We just kind of said, like, kind of go go to, like, a support group or something for a couple of weeks and, like, just figure it out. Like, you're really smart. Go go fix yourself. Yeah. And uh, then he ends up overdosing and dying. And it's like, good Lord, it's having just too many people. And that's why I finally just started talking openly about it. It's like, yeah, I mean, for – numerous times you know rounds of treatment we didn't tell anybody because we were so embarrassed that somebody with a master's degree an undergraduate degree would be struggling with addiction because because i should be able to figure this out because i'm smart right no i mean it's it doesn't matter it's it's a disease that left untreated just gets worse over time so the real cause of addiction and there's a there's an experiment if anybody's interested in looking online it's called the rat park experiment and what it does is it shows um in a scientific way, you put a they put a rat inside of a cage and they leave it by itself and they leave it with um, water or water laced with heroin or cocaine. Every single time a rat's in a cage by itself, it's going to go for the drug laced water and it's going to use it compulsively and it's going to drink it till it dies, until wow. it overdoses. And so you're thinking, well, the chemical hooks and the drug just keep it hooked, and so it, it's now all of a sudden it has to take the drug. Well, then they they did this the same experiment, but they put a bunch of rats in a cage. They built this rat park, and it was like heaven for rats. And there was balls to play with, and tunnels to scamper down, and other rats to play with and have sex with, and everything you know, rat about town would want. <laughs> and not not one rat ever used the drug water compulsively, and not one rat ever overdosed. Wow! And it led the scientists and psychologists who were studying this to believe that maybe it's a community. We Maybe need, it's being connected. We need so, each other. Yes, yes. So it comes, it's not a moral failing or somebody's lazy or bored or that they're just not smart enough. Um, there's, there, some people may, that may lead some people to believe that it's a, a disconnection. And so I became disconnected in this car accident. Mm-hmm. So I was connected. I, I didn't, there was no reason for me necessarily to be, you know, a raging alcoholic and, and drug addict. When I was connected, I was engaged in life, I was having fun. And then all of a sudden you pull everything away from me and enter painkillers. Yeah. It's like, well, yes, now I have a solution to the inner turmoil that I was going through. Right. You know, I was going through inner, you know, the, the PTSD, the trauma, all that stuff that I never really that I didn't deal with for really over a decade um, started to enter the picture. And the painkillers were just a way for me to just temporary. It, it, it worked temporarily, worked temporarily for me to soothe the, the you know, the uneasy, uneasy nerves of the loneliness of the depression. Yeah. And so I hit the ground running though. And I had my, ended up after 14 surgeries that year, had the painkillers and I, I wasn't really abusing them at that point in time. So, um, really, um, my parents were there to help manage them, but I had my leg amputated. Went ahead and decided to amputate my leg after, um, a year in 14 operations. Wow. And I went on to graduate. I got my diploma, walked the stage under my own power on a temporary prosthetic six weeks after my amputation and I went off to show the world that I was 
invincible. Right. So I moved out to San Diego from Texas and got a master's in counseling. And that's when I felt really disconnected. That's when I pulled me out of everything I knew back home from what I grew up knowing. Moved out to Southern California by myself, getting a master's degree. I was really terrified. And I have this new prosthetic leg. And so it's a new way of life. Um, but on the surface, I was doing skydiving and triathlons and doing nonprofit work and you know, graduate school work, all this, you know, stuff that looked great on the surface, but, um, yeah, showing, showing the world you were invincible. Yes. And then, uh, more prescription pills started, started coming in. I, you know, I, I started running out of my painkillers, you know, pretty quickly, more and more quickly. So I'd either run down to Tijuana and get more, or I went to my doctor and was like, man, I can't really focus because of the alcohol and the, and the pain pills I'm taking. So then I get Adderall. Adderall's great for people who maybe suffer with you know uh, ADHD but if you're like me you're going to take you know a month's worth of Adderall in two weeks or less yeah. mm-hmm. and I can't I'm not sleeping for days at a time so then I'm in sleeping pills and I'm abusing sleeping pills and when I run out of those I'm smoking marijuana and so it was just this cocktail of substances I had kind of percolating under <laughs> under uh under the skin at, at all times it seemed like yeah um and then end up making uh Got, got through grad school, I had gotten married, and moved to L.A. as a, uh, I got a role as a body double for my cousin in a television show, and um, ended up moving from San Diego to L.A., drug my wife kicking and screaming, and next thing you know, I'm acting on sets like NCIS and ER, and I'm getting hired on for an episode of Cold Case, and Brothers That's and Sisters. Very cool. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm meeting and hanging out with, you know, Rob Lowe, and, you know, David Spade, and, um... I mean, Mandy Dick, uh, that, that, that's a crazy story we can go into later if, yeah. you, if you want. But, um, <laughs> yes, know, uh, please. I'm, I'm bowling I'm bowling at Phil Jackson's house, uh, you right. know, 10-time world champion uh, NBA coach for the, for the Lakers and the uh, Bulls. And I'm bowling at Phil Jackson's house, and you know, all this stuff is like, hey, I'm back. I'm back in the game, kind of like I was senior in high school. It's kind of like I'm, 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 I'm dialed in. Here we go. However, I was never really healthy at all. I really wasn't, um, you know, who I really was. Uh, who I really was was somebody that was completely broken, completely ashamed, completely shamed. I was shameful and I was, I was guilty, all, feeling guilty all the time for knowing what I was doing wasn't right. Um, but and, I just kept covering it up because I yeah. didn't know how to ask for help. And know, just hoping scared. the world didn't see how fraudulent you were feeling. Yeah, yeah. You know, people from our, you know, neighborhood – didn't have these kind of problems, you know, it's for the people on the other side of the tracks, you know, those people deal with this kind of stuff. So I can't go and tell somebody what can't go tell, you know, people what's really going on. So just cover it up as long as possible. And then I, then the, you know, the world came to a, to a stop. Um, after, after, uh, we ended up at the playboy mansion, as you read in the, my bio got to the playboy mansion with Adam Sandler and Emma stone. I'm, I'm taking shots with a bunch of Saturday night live, old Saturday night live guys like John Lovitz. And, and, uh, uh, next thing you know, um, I get a call that my brother didn't show up for work. And, um, you know, we've already mentioned they died of an overdose. What we didn't mention is the worst part. And the worst part is that I found them. Um, that uh, I'm the one who, who got the call. He didn't show up for work. I'm the one who went over to his Beverly Hills home. I'm the one that went and checked his bedroom door and uh, found that it was locked. And I called the cell phone one last time, and I could hear it ringing on the other side, and um, and no answer. And so, I, you know, you don't really you don't really expect it to happen, but right. it was kind of, I guess, in the back of my mind, an option that something could have happened. 
but I, I just kicked the door in. I wish I would have called for help, but I just kicked the door in and, and um, uh, found my brother who had um, been dead for three days. Oh, um, no, I'm so sorry. Yeah, you know, and so, again, I'm just one story of 64,000 overdose deaths that somebody had to find these 64,000 people yeah. in 2016. And um, I'm just I'm just uh, a lucky one that got out alive. Um, and that, so another crazy defining moment in your life. Yeah, you know, and knowing exactly how he died, seeing what happened, I, it didn't deter me. It just made, uh, you know, it just got worse after that. Yeah. So we um, moved out of L.A., moved here to Nashville, where we've been living for nine nine years or so. And um, I got in with Dave Ramsey, got a job with Dave Ramsey, big, you know, radio uh, total money makeover, get oh, people yeah. out of debt, debt guy, you mm-hmm. know. Yep. And uh, I got in, got in a job with him and I got you know, nine months or so I got fired as a direct result of, uh, alcohol and, and substance abuse on the job. And so that, um, sent me into uh, treatment for the first time or it gave me, it made me realize that the first time this thing is, this thing's going to kill me just like it did my brother if I don't go get help. Yeah. And so it started my journey to recovery in 2011 and, and just like uh, recovery from, you know, any, any disease like diabetes or heart disease or cancer, if you, you know, there's relapses along the way. There's, sure. there's ups and downs. There's, you know, Hey, you make progress and then you go in and you get a bad test results again. Oh crud. Now I got to go back in and I need to change my medication. I need to change a treatment plan. Um, you know, there's ups and downs. And so I've, I've definitely had a series of ups and downs and multiple treatment centers. And I ended up, <laughs> got kicked out of my house and ended up in a trailer uh, with a roommate named Beaver <laughs> on the banks, on the banks of the Cumberland river. And, you know, to go from, Playboy Mansion, Beverly Hills parties, and bowling in Phil Jackson's house to living in this mold-infested trailer with a roommate named Beaver yeah. <laughs> uh, was not, you know, something. I thought I was immune to it, and um, it wasn't until a counselor told me just straight up, he was like, "Dude, all you are is just a crippled drunk, like anybody else, with one leg who's drinking themselves to death." Wow. All right, and he's like, and he told me that after I'd you know, known him a while, and. And he knew I needed, he knew I could handle it, but knew I needed to hear that. Yeah. And, um, so, uh, but really, it really was my, my uh, last relapse two and a half years ago. And, uh, I got to go, I had the fortune of going to addiction campuses, uh, facility in, in Dallas, one of our uh, facilities in, uh, in Dallas. And, um, that's where things just kind of clicked and, and the staff had a much more compassionate level of care than the other treatment centers I've been to. And so, um, that was the right mix for you. You needed. Yeah. That. And, uh, and so I walked in with a resume, um, to addiction campuses two and a half years ago, just walked into the resume and said, I just graduated your program. Can I, I'll, I'll volunteer. Can I just somehow work here? Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, now I get to, I've started our drug free workplace program where I go into businesses and, and, uh, teach them of, you know, things to look for and somebody that might be struggling with substance use, whether it's uh, an employee or a family, you know, maybe it may be there at, at that, you know, place of business as a family member that's struggling. And so kind of I share my story and um, give people some signs to look for and resources uh, to go to for help, starting with, um, I, I'm going to keep saying addiction campuses because I, I firmly believe what we do is, um, you know, as good or better than any other treatment center out there. And, um, and now I get that. They asked me to host. So, so, so when you're drinking at your desk and uh, taking pills uh, at work, uh, popping them, Popping pills like candy, uh, they f- you get called into your boss's office and they fire you. Oh, well, they don't, they don't, don't do that. They don't like that. <laughs> no, you know, 
Dave Ramsey, they didn't tell me that in orientation, so I, I didn't know. <laughs> you didn't say so, not but, to do that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Was it in the fine print? I, I never read the fine print. Um, but then, you know, you get somebody to help that they need. You get somebody treatment. You get somebody, you know, uh, maybe some 12-step meetings, and you, you get somebody, you know, some regular support. You get them reconnected um, on a consistent basis. They can be wonderful contributing, you know, members of society and, and in the workforce. And so they came. I got called in to my boss's office one day. They're like, oh, John, can you come here? And I was like, oh, man, what I do? Yeah. <laughs> did, I, did they find out something I did in my past? And they don't want to do it. And I was like, you know. And so they called in. They're like, well, if you'd like to host a podcast. Uh, we've got a podcast idea in mind. Uh, we want to call it High Sobriety. We think you'd be a great host for it. And I was like, what? Nice. Are you kidding me? Like, yeah, this is right up my alley, you know. Exactly. So, yeah. So anyway, that's kind of the how it all and, started. Well, yeah. I mean, what a, a amazing story for you to share, because there's lots of people obviously out there in pain. And, you know, when we say like, just be who you are, be yourself. How do you even begin to find out who that is? Great question. I mean, so some of us, we or most of us. Hold on, I, should, I can't even say that. Me, I, all I can do is just speak for myself. Right. For myself, I put on a mask for so long, and I didn't even know when I was lying to myself. Right. And it was that counselor who said, "All you are is just a you know crippled drunk like anybody else that's you know got you know one leg is drinking themselves to death." And it, it was after that that I went and saw a trauma therapist, and um, I just gave her. It was a phone consultation, and ten minutes into it, she stops me and, and she goes, "Look, okay, thank you." Um, for your well-rehearsed story, um, I don't really. I'm not really concerned about your car accident. I'm not concerned about your friend dying. I'm not concerned about your leg getting amputated or your brother dying. What I'm concerned about is what happened to you as a child. So I was like, "What? Wow. What are you talking about? You yeah. crazy lady!" And she, I go, "Nobody's ever asked me that in all the therapies and all the treatments stuff that I had." She said, "So something happened early on that set the tone for how you reacted to these other things." And I go. You know, the only thing I, I can think of other than the great childhood I had was, I, you know, I had some ear surgeries as a kid, but that wasn't a big deal. And she said, no, 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 no. You are sore than mistaken, John. She goes, I guarantee you that's where everything started wow. for you. So she goes, when you come in, we're going to talk about your ear surgeries. I was like, what? Yeah. So we ended up through several sessions. Uh, so I had six ear surgeries from the time I was like six to age like six to 15. I left ear up prosthetic bones and put in that ear and uh, a transplanted eardrum. Wow. Come to find out, that was extremely traumatic for me. Yeah. And I put on a face of, let's make people laugh. Let's make people think. And as I told you before, I had this kind of larger-than-life personality in high school. Well, all it was was a cover-up. Right. That whole that whole class clown, most outgoing, you know, best personality thing was all cover-up for early on in my life. And, and I could trace it back to it after talking with her about this. I always felt defective. I always felt insecure. I always felt unfixable. I'm, I'm always going to be broken. Yeah. And there's nothing, nothing that can fix me. And nobody ever told me that. Nobody, but I say that to your audience, to the listeners, to, man, if maybe something happened in your childhood, maybe you have a child that's something um, that you wouldn't think would be traumatic, could actually be a driving force for why they do the things that they do today right. that might, might be unhealthy. 
And I was able to manage. Life was manageable, and I was able to manage until the car accident happened. And then it's just that was just a catalyst for now I'm a real freak. Now yeah. I'm really broken. Right. Now I'm really un- I'm so unfixable. They had to cut my body part off. At least before they could put somebody else's body part in, and then I could still be like functioning. I yeah. still here. Well, now I'm now now you just got to cut it, cut parts of me off because I'm not even you know close to being fixable anymore. Not whole. <laughs> yes, yes. So it just made. Just added fuel to the fire. Well, it makes sense because, you know, as from the very beginning, we're all conditioned um, when you come from, you know, a family, you're all con- we're all conditioned to be a good boy or girl and uh-huh. don't express yourself. Don't yell. Don't cry. Don't do this. <laughs> don't do that. You know, be good. And so you yeah. do learn to like, OK, I guess I'll just brush this off um, because that's what you're supposed to do. So it's really not easy to become who you are supposed to become. You you have to like get to that point where you realize it's okay to be me. Yes, yes. And I I did it to go back to your initial uh, question. I did it through hundreds of hours of therapy, of hundreds of hours of support group. I you know, and but I started by going to one appointment. You know, yes, yes, it turned into I needed a lot of help in a lot of different ways, and I and I did a I did a host of different types of modalities. I've done EMDR, which is eye movement desensitization, desensitization re, reprocessing. Um, it's a it's a form of trauma therapy. Brain spotting is another form of brain of uh, trauma of trauma work. Um, I've done you know meditation, yoga, things that I would never try before. Uh, essential oils. Yeah, you know, I was at one point I was on like eleven medications coming out of my uh, first treatment center. I was on eleven medications. That's not healthy. Right. And now now I'm on two, and I supplement that with a lot of essential oils. And um, um, there's a thing called an alpha stimulator. I, I, I bought an alpha stimulator, which is you, you kind of clip onto your earlobes and it helps bring your alpha brain width brain uh, waves um, down to a more calm state naturally without, uh, you know, having nine antidepressants in my system. Yeah, that's almost like an acupuncture move. Yeah, yeah. So I have a slide when I do a lot of talks where they say, where I say, how did I get from the trailer with Beaver to, you know, hosting a podcast and speaking to colleges around the country? Well, I, I, I did it by trying and, you know, 50, 60 different things. Some of them I learned. You know, some of them I still use. Some of them I tried once and didn't work, and I went on and tried something else. So, you know, the only failure is just uh, not trying. Is, yeah, exactly. Just giving up. Right. So. Yeah. Well, I'm a I'm a Reiki master and a yoga teacher as well. And usually, when people come to me for relief, it's because. You know, it's not a regular thing, Reiki. So people are like, all right, I've tried everything else. Let me just try this. You know, I get like the last ditch effort um, because, you know, no one is, you know, everyone's just like, yeah, whatever. But um, nobody, wants, nobody wants to see you because they're like, I guess it, I tried everything else. I guess I'll go to you. I know. Plus, then you're admitting that, you know, you're not whole. Something's wrong. Yeah. And it's hard to say out loud to yourself or to anybody else. Yes, especially somebody else, yeah. Yeah, what if they find out? Yeah. What if they find out that I'm really not this person that, you know, I'm pretending to be? Mm-hmm. I used to, for years, like, kind of um, pride myself on changing to be who other people wanted me to be when I was with them. Like, oh, you want me to be the clown? I'm the clown. You want me to be the therapist? I'm the therapist. You know, and it took a long time and, and lots of therapy to 
Um, just like, oh, this is who I am all the time. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, it's taken a takes a, takes a lot to to get to that point. It both one to say you need to go get help, and then two to work through it. It's work. It's you know, work. So you know your your show is all about being who you are, having fun, and getting it done. Yeah. So I kind of did that out of order. I was uh, I was having fun first and foremost. <laughs> right. I had no idea who I was, and I wasn't getting crap done. No, I mean I was I was getting you know enough done, um, but. You know, I, I do want to touch again on um, the treatment that we offer at Addiction Campuses. When I had to go do work in uh, other rehab centers, it was not fun. Like it was, it was. I mean, counselors, you know, just calling me out on my stuff and telling me what I told you earlier. I'm just a crippled drunk. And um, but at Addiction Campuses, I would, they integrate fun into into the therapies. And so we have uh, zipline courses, and we have wilderness therapy, and cooking classes, and music therapy. We you, well, you can write a song. Um, even if you have no music background whatsoever, we have music, you know, therapists there that you can help write a song and learn to play a new instrument. Um, and one prime example that I, that I love using is um, we're doing a wilderness outing one day uh, at our Dallas uh, facility, which is called the Treehouse. If anybody wants to look it up, we have a, a an actual treehouse where we do yoga classes out of and, uh, cool. um, things like that. So we're, there's this log that's going across the creek. We're going to go uh, look for snakes, go snake hunting. And we have uh, Dalton, our will outdoor wilderness guys, get this big handlebar mustache. And, I mean, this guy's just a you know character out of a movie, and he's just an amazing uh, soul. And so I grab this huge, this big stick, and I, you know, again, I have one leg, so I'm on this prosthetic leg. I'm crossing this log over the creek, and I'm uh, I'm over like halfway across, and I let go of the stick because I'm like, oh, I got, I got the second half of this thing. And the next step I take, I slip and I fall, you know, into the creek, completely soaked head to toe uh-huh. in the mud. And they pull me out, and Doug pulls me out, and he's like, you okay? I said, yes. And he goes, what can you learn from your recovery from this experience? I'm like, what are you talking about, man? I just, I'm so embarrassed. I just fell in saying, you're making me work? Like, you're making me think? And yeah. he goes, no, this is this is what this, is, this program's for. What can you learn from your recovery from this? And I, so I thought about it. I said, well, maybe if I, if I have a tool that's working for me, don't let go of it. Because then I can slip and fall. He's right. like, boom, there you go. If you're going boom. to 12-step meetings and those are working for you, then all of a sudden you quit going, guess what happens? Right. You can slip and fall. Right. <laughs> you know? Or you're going to the therapy, you know, once a month and it's working for you. And then I'll, or, you know, you're going twice a month and then you back off to not going at all. And now you open yourself up to slipping and falling. So, um, That's those a good are analogy. Things. Yeah. So those are kinds of things that somebody maybe who's listening and has a family member or themselves might be considering um, needing some help. You can go to addictioncampuses.com and, and uh, talk to one of our uh, treatment specialists. A uh, little window will pop up right there on, on the website. Um, we take, to give me an idea, uh, 19 to 20,000 calls this month we're going to we're gonna take from around the country. So we we, uh, we put people in treatment all across the country. Um, That's and, amazing. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and we make it fun in the process. You know, it's, it could be a, a challenging experience. It can be scary and terrifying for a lot of people, but um, we've got the staff with a with a compassionate heart that uh, that makes it makes a makes it a loving experience as as best they can, um, as well as a fun experience. Well, this opioid epidemic that we have in the, the United States is just unfathomable of how to wrap your head around trying to stop it. Yeah, you know, and at least in Tennessee, we had more overdose deaths last uh, year than uh, guns and car accidents combined. Wow. So, you know, it's uh, it just keeps getting worse and worse. And again, it comes back, I believe, to disconnection. 
I believe we are more disconnected in, in society than ever before due to technology and really social. I think social media is a huge player in the, in the uh, depression and uh, suicide rates, you know, just skyrocketing to, yeah. you know, ep- epidemic proportions. It's just, we're all just comparing ourselves like crazy, you know, to everybody else. And we're not really connecting with the people right by us. Right. We're connecting. You know, we feel this fake connection online digitally, but we're not really connected on a heart level to, you know. Yes, especially for like, you know, teenagers who are at this uh, crucial time in their lives to see, you know, what they're missing out on, what they're not invited to, you know, Uh what they're what they're not, you know, and it's just it's heartbreaking. So it's wonderful. Like. I, I use social media. I love it for who I get to meet, through, like someone you're, like yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's great, but I can, I mean, that's just like a heartbreaker to watch, you for know. Kids. Yeah. Oh my God. He, he liked me. She didn't know. She didn't like that. Now she unfriended me. She unfollowed me. Now she's following me again. Oh my gosh. She's, oh, like, you know, just can you imagine how hard it was, like, going to school for you and me? And no. I've had the social media pressure. It's going to be, oh my gosh. And then, you know, then they're up at all all hours of the night. They're the, the sleep that they need. Their study. I, I'm just imagining like I would not be able to focus on schoolwork as much because I'd be worried to be you know that late. Did yeah. No. Oh, I only got 13. You know, I only got 1,300 likes on that one. Yeah. Only I get 1,500. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so. and like, how do you like relay to this whole generation? Like, y- this doesn't matter. It's not <laughs> real. It doesn't matter. <laughs> All of your energy is going into something that is really doesn't even exist. Yeah, it's, it's just it's just binary numbers, ones and zeros. Yeah, live in the cloud somewhere. Exactly, it's not even real. Right. Well, yeah, it's scary. It is, but um, I love that you are doing this work, and you've and you're doing it authentically because you know what it feels like, and that's I feel like the only way we can help people is just by being real. Man, and I gotta tell you, I do not have my stuff together. I'm, uh, if I'm being real, I've, you know, I'm, you know, still got marriage issues we're dealing with. You know, my wife sees me making progress, and my wife sees me like, you know, doing bigger and bigger talks and speeches and and things like that. And you know, she's nobody's seen that 13 years, 14 year. No, we just had our 14 year anniversary a couple weeks ago. Congrats. Nobody's seen the 14 years of thank you of crap that she's put up with. I mean, being married to somebody uh, that's a, that's an alcoholic or addict is, you know, that's a whole other well, ball game. I saw on Instagram this morning, you just shared that she was on another podcast, right? So, yeah. So she just did her first interview and, uh, I, I didn't even want her on my podcast first. Uh, just, you know, I mean, being my wife and I wanted her to share her truth at a time that made sense for her. And so, um, a friend of mine that, that has a podcast called The Share Podcast, S-H-A-I-R. His name's uh, Omar Pinto. He's, he's in recovery. He has a recovery-focused podcast. And, um, so that just posted this morning. Um, Omar just posted her, her podcast interview that's really uh, – his, his interviews you know, go around 45 minutes an hour. Uh, my wife's was two hours. Wow. It doubled. I mean because there, there was just so much there that he – was able to pull from her right and um so if anybody's a family member of an alcoholic or an addict you're looking for support go check out uh, sarah mabry sarah's my wife sarah mabry's um uh podcast on the share podcast that's uh just posted this morning yeah i can't wait to listen to it i definitely will and tell her if she wants to come on this one she can oh cool okay all right i will yeah 
Um, because I know, you know, everybody has somebody that they know in their family or their community who struggles. And it's really hard, especially when it's like mental illness. You know, everybody's like, like you said before, stop doing that. Stop acting like that. It's like almost scary to them. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just like, why are you doing that? Why are you acting this way? I'm mad at you. You know, and it's, it's really hard. It's hard yeah, to yeah. be compassionate when yeah. you don't understand it. That's, and that's what the people need. That's what the individual needs more than anything is just compassion. Yeah. Both from, they need compassion from other people and compassion for themselves. But they're just shamed for so long to just go, dude, you're, you're doing this to yourself. Right. Which, yes, yes, there is a time and a place for the tough love and there's a time and a place for, you know, uh, individuals to experience consequences and have to, you know, have to walk through those consequences like, me getting kicked out of my house and and things like that but on a certain uh, you know to a certain degree there's a the, we as a society need to be more compassionate to encourage people to go get out and ask for the help that they that they desperately need yeah when someone feels broken and unworthy you know it's not going to help them by making them feel more broken and more unworthy you know that's why that's why they're looking at you know why a lot of people are starting to re uh, look at the prison system for uh, repeat um, drug offenders. Right. It's like, well, so you're taking somebody, the, the drugs are not the problem. The drugs are the solution to the problem. The problem is some kind of, you know, uh, some kind of emotional turmoil or something, something going on inside the individual that they're using that as a way to, you know, calm down, calm their central nervous system and their emotions down. Yeah, just shut okay. it off for a little yeah. while. Let me just, it's just temporary fix. Let me just shut it off for a little bit and I'm going to be okay. I can breathe. Okay. Then they get caught with the drugs and the alcohol and they get thrown in jail. So then you're taking somebody who's already sick and you're making them sicker by throwing and putting them in like like the rat park. Yeah. You're you're putting them in a cage. Right. And so you're putting somebody that's already sick in a cage, just like taking a cancer patient, sticking them in a, you know, quarantined hospital room and not giving them any treatment. Right. Like, here, let's put you in a padded room and not give you treatment. Well, how are they going to get better? They're not. Then you're going to let them out. They're going to or they're going to be worse than when they went in. So yeah, um, I mean, you look yeah. at even like the how you get punished in prison. You go to solitary by yourself. Exactly. You know, so even when like you're with scary people, you'd rather be with them than alone, isolated. The worst, yes, the worst form of punishment is just to be isolated and alone, and we have. Millions of people walking around isolated and alone, but they're staring at their phone and they're connected online, but yeah. they're not really connected to their, you know, a church or a community or, and hey, and I say church because I grew up in the church, but you're, you're hey, I, I'm not here to judge. Your church could be that your gym, your church could be, you know, Habitat for Humanity, your right. church could be volunteering at the food kitchen, your church could be, you know, uh, Watching football on, you know, watching college, your favorite college football team on Saturday afternoons with your buddies. Yeah. You don't have to be hammered doing it, right. <laughs> but you just get together, just get together with some buddies and watch some football and just have some good quality, you know, guy time. Yeah, it's Maybe just, it's but, feeling that sense of community with other people. There you go. Yep. That's, yep. that's great. Um, well, so how can people follow you and be in touch with what you're doing? Yeah, so I'm uh, on all social media platforms, uh, John Clint Mabry. So I'll spell it out, J-O-H-N-C-L-I-N-T, Mabry, M-A-B-R-Y, John, at John Clint Mabry on you know Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, or pretty much the main four that yeah. I'm on. 
cool. then, um, you know, hey, I'm not the guy to call necessarily if, you, if you're looking to get somebody into treatment and want to look at, uh, you know, payment options or insurance, see what insurance might cover, or if you have Medicare or Medicaid, um, uh, we don't take those at our centers, but if you call into our call center, they can help find a resource that's, um, that's best suited for you, given your, uh, you know, location and needs and uh, resources. So just go to addictioncampuses.com and um, you can uh, connect with, uh, with one of our treatment specialists there. And they have uh, facilities like everywhere? Uh, so uh, we have four facilities that we own and operate and nice. um, we have a, we have about 800 employees um, between our our, our um, home office and our four facilities wow so yeah so we're yeah quite large you know I mean talking landscape and you know cooks and all oh, the foods amazing yeah. oh really that's our facilities nice. yes food's so good well that's really important because what we put into our body you know affects our mood absolutely so and we're, so we know that we have like like award-winning chef at uh you know at uh, some of our facilities and i mean it's, it's no joke we understand that it's you know mind body spirit approach yeah it's all um, connected and if you're eating garbage you're feeling like garbage yep so we don't take uh the food thing lightly and so you'll come out with more weight than you came in with <laughs> but that's a lot of times when you're struggling with uh, substance use uh then that, that's a good thing yeah um but um so our facilities are, we have one in Northwest Massachusetts called Swift River, and that is featured in, be, folks be on the lookout for uh, Jim Wahlberg's, uh, one of the Wahlberg brothers, yeah. the middle brother, mm-hmm. and uh, he was just in our office last week showing us his new film that we are featured in and uh, we're a sponsor of, and I may be uh, doing some traveling around the country, going giving some some big presentations to eight to 10,000 uh, kids at a time. Wow. Um, is, it, about, is it a documentary? Um, no, it's an actual, it's an actual it's a movie. Uh, movie. Cool. Yeah. It's, that's great. It's about 35 minutes. So it's a short, it's a short, you know, relatively short film, but uh-huh. it, um, it follows the course of, uh, several different characters and what happens when, you know, they don't get help and what happens when they do get help and how the outcomes can change. And, um, it's called the, uh, the circle of addiction. Wow. And, uh, it's called circle of addiction, a different kind of tears. And so it's, uh, there's nothing. I think there's a movie, there's like a trailer online right now is, is all there is online about it. Um, but that would be coming out soon. So that features our Massachusetts facility called Swift River. Um, our, our newest one's uh, called The Bluffs in Ohio. And then we have The Treehouse uh, outside of Dallas. And then we have um, one just south of Memphis, about 10 minutes south of the Memphis airport in South Haven, Mississippi called Turning Point. Very nice. Um, but, but again, we, we have partners all across the country that when you call in, if, if you're not a if one of our facilities in in the ideal fit for you, then we'll get you somewhere. So nice one one phone number or uh, one website will get you connected to to anywhere from Hawaii to you know great Florida Keys. So. Right, perfect. Um, well, now tell me the Andy Dick story. <laughs> nah. <laughs> okay, so um, New Year's. It was New Year's, probably two thousand five or so. And by the way, um, I know he seems like a total weirdo. Yeah, yeah. I met him a few times. I met him a couple of times. This was the second time we were at a New Year's party uh, with Kaylee Cuoco yep. uh, from Big Bang, Big Bang Theory. So she was dating my cousin at the time. My cousin's Josh Henderson. Most people don't know him, but, oh, okay. uh, but he, he's been in Desperate Housewives and a bunch of stuff. Yep. Um, so she was dating my cousin, and they threw this New Year's party on, a, on one of the Hollywood sets. And it was like a New York um, City 
scene, like a New York uh, City street scene. You had like a little bakery and you had like little cleaners and whatever. And so it was an all white party. And so when you walked onto the set, they had these fake snow blowers blowing snow off of the ceiling of this, uh, you know, off the rooftops of this set, this big set. So you're walking through snow, you know, in Southern California here yeah. uh, for this party. And you walk into these white tents and there was, uh, she was on the show, uh, Eight Simple Rules at the time, John Ritter. This oh, yeah. Was, this was this was not long after John Ritter died, so he, he wasn't there. But all the all the cast for uh, Eight Simple Rules and stuff were there, and, and you know, a number of other people. So we're just hanging out, or, you know, doing normal New, New Year's Eve party. And Andy Dick shows up, and my cousin and Kaylee were like rolling their eyes. They're like, "Oh gosh, she's not supposed to be here," you know. But he like demanded. Apparently, the story is he like demanded that his like his manager called Kaylee's and said, "Hey, Andy's going to come." and and we're like, well, he's not really invited, but whatever. <laughs> so he shows up, and he just, you know, just typical Andy. He's he started. He kissed me, and um, you know, got a picture with him, and it wasn't that big of a deal. So we go to leave, to leave the party, and my wife and I go up to grab a cab up on like uh, Sunset, and. Kaylee and a couple of her Porsche and a couple other cars were with her. They were off the side waiting for a couple of us to get in cabs. And a cat pulls up, and my wife gets in, and all of a sudden Andy jumps in, in the middle of us, and then <laughs> I get in. And then so there's the three of us in the back of this cab, and we just said, follow that maroon force. We're going where they're going. Okay, fine. So Andy gets a call on his phone, and he goes, okay, okay, all right, yeah, we'll be there in, uh, we'll be there in 10. And so he tells the cab driver, he goes, hey, change the plans, turn up here on uh, Coldwater Canyon, and we're going somewhere else. And so I was like, what? Wait, what? <laughs> so his cab driver turns off, and we're going up into the hills. And the thing on New Year's about um, getting a cab up in the hill, once you're up in the hills, like, you can't get back down. Right. Because all the cabs stay shuttling everybody around in the, you know, down, in down low. It's on, it's on, you know, all the clubs and the bars and stuff. So I'm, I'm thinking, like, man, what kind of, like, weird group orgy party is he taking us to? <laughs> you know, what kind of drugs and, you know, you know, weird is going to be going on. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, I want my wife in this situation. I don't want to be in this situation. So I'm trying to think like, how are we going to get out of this? And you know, I couldn't say anything like, no, Andy, we're not going to your friend's house, <laughs> you know? And, um, so we pull up in this cul-de-sac, this dark cul-de-sac and he, we get out and he tells the cab driver, he leans in the window and says, Hey, here's 20, here's 20 bucks that we owe you for now. Stay. We're going to, we're going to go in and have one drink and we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. And so Andy starts to walk off and his friend is coming down like the driveway and I push my wife in the backseat of the cab and close the door and I told the cab driver, I was like, get out of here. And he's like, what? I was like, get out of here. So, Are you serious? I said, yes, get the hell out of here. And so he peels out as Andy's like chasing after us. Going, hey, wait, wait, don't leave me up here. Oh no. So we just, we ditched him up there and we drove back to our, we drove back home and said, see ya. Yeah. And so, you know, and you know, he's all pissed off going, man, now I can't, now I'm stuck at this stupid party. I only <laughs> wanted to show up here for one drink and be gone. But, uh, you know, he was stuck there for the rest of the night. Well, so you saved the rest of L.A. from Andy Dick that night. Well, exactly. <laughs> well, here's the, here's the part I left out. Is as we're in the backseat of the cab, she was, like, groping both of us. Yeah. Was, like, he was like, oh, you guys are beautiful. And he, like, <laughs> licked my cheek and, would, like, kissed my wife on the cheek. And he thought he was going to get lucky with us. And we're like, what are you Like, no, we're out of here. Yeah. This is scaring me. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, it was awesome to talk to you. I'm so glad that we connected and, um, you know, let's do it again sometime, anytime. And, um, oh, excellent. 
Thank yeah. you for the opportunity. Hopefully, we can we can save a life and encourage uh, you know one person to to get help today that uh, maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, or you know, let their mom or dad or sister or brother see some of the signs that yeah they need to get them some help if they you know what's the deal with that? So should you you know if somebody doesn't want someone someone's not ready to get better or to heal, like how do you? That's a big conundrum. Yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question. They have to be ready to get help. I mean, you can have, you can, you know, there's, we have an interventionist that we work with. If you need, if you want to consider having an intervention, that's, you know, uh, an option. Um, it's not great to like pluck somebody out and just throw them into treatment. Yeah. You know, that doesn't seem like, like it would help at all. No, it's just going to make them bitter and mad and and they're going to, you know, they're, you know, Hold on, everybody. I mean, it can just make somebody, you know, worse. I mean, it makes somebody, you know, more mad, better than they were before um, if, if they're not ready to go. So, um, again, we have we have interventions that we work with. If that's the route somebody wants, wants to take. But, um, <sighs> yeah. Yeah, that is the million-dollar question. You know, it's how sometimes, do... Sometimes they need to experience enough consequences to finally go, okay, I think I need help. Because, I mean, my wife knew I needed help since, like, six months into our marriage, but I didn't actually go get help until, like, seven years later. Yeah. So, you know, so here's here's the advice I would give is the family member needs to go take care of themselves. The right. loved one who see who has a, a an alcoholic or addict or substance, you know, use uh, disorder family member, you go take care of you. So like my wife needs to go take care of herself. Right. You know, go go get she needs to go to, you know, twelve step Al Anon meetings or, you know, therapy or, you know, go get her nails done on you know Yeah. Go to go get massage or whatever she needs to do to care for herself. Yeah, exercise. because therein lies the you know no one else can make you happy. You have to yes. be happy from within yourself, exactly. and not rely on you know. Will you make me this or that? And it's tough when you have you know a spouse that's just you know running the finances into the ground. They can't hold down a job, and they're gambling you know money yeah. away. You know that that's it's it's not easy. No. I'm not saying it's easy. Um, but it is possible. It is possible to go get yourself help to go take care of you in the midst of the of the you know turmoil. Yep. And um, and let the individual you know get get enough consequences where they're willing to go get some help. Exactly. Well, thank you again. I really appreciate it. I love talking to you, and we'll definitely do it again sometime. Thank you so much. Uh, really appreciate it, Jen. Keep up the great work you're doing. Thanks, you too. All right, everybody, all right. if you like what you hear, go to iTunes, rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, check out John's podcast, Addiction Campuses. And as always, work hard, be nice. Peace.